0: continuing our series on prayer, and uh, and with this, I'm, I'm taking a little bit different direction than maybe I would have in the past when I taught on prayer. Um, I don't know how to say this, you're, you're, kind, you're kind of getting uh, an advantage <laughs> from the standpoint of uh, after, in July it'll be 35 years that I've been here, 37 years that I've been in the ministry. Um, but uh, you know, my, my outlook and my view on some things have changed a little bit. And not that the Word of God has changed, but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's amazing when you get a hold of um, certain truths, how it, 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 it changes your perspective, it changes how you see things. You know, I remember when I got a hold of the Word of Faith message, how it, you know, just totally changed my attitude and perspective on things because... Uh, it was realizing, beginning to realize what Jesus had already accomplished for us, and what we were doing. We weren't trying to get God to do something, you know. By faith, we were getting a hold of what He had already done for us, and and uh, you know. Then along the way, you get a hold of revelation and so forth, and and probably, you know. I was I was raised in a church where we we taught on grace and righteousness. I mean, that was. Well, Luther, that was his main thrust, was grace and, and righteousness. You know? So I was raised in that. You know, but over the last several years, you know, with the uh, getting a hold of what they refer to as the grace message, which is the gospel, but getting a hold of that, once again, probably has impacted my thought in study um, more than anything has since I got to hold of the Word of Faith message. And, and the reason for that is it, 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 it doesn't take away from the Word of Faith message, it builds upon it, you know, of how Christ has uh, completed the work. You know what faith is is receiving what Christ has already completed for us. And so it's not according to our works, it's not according to our merit, it's according to what Jesus has done for us. And, you know, a couple weeks ago when I taught on tithing, you know, that was one of the things that really began to change my view in some areas of the tithe and in giving, was to begin to understand truly grace. and, And grace and law Are like water and oil; they don't mix, and uh, and so um, so when we begin to hold of get a hold of that message of grace, and so some of what I'm going to share with you even tonight concerning prayer, um, because of grace, it it changes how we approach prayer. Um, I, I look back and many of the things that we used to do concerning prayer, do, we did, concerning prayer, um, once you get a hold of the message of grace, you realize that so much of what we called prayer was futility because we were trying to get God to do something that already was done. We we're trying to convince him to do something that he already wanted to do in our lives. And so those are just some thoughts you know, that I want to talk with you about tonight because i think one of the hardest things for many times for christians to get a hold of is that we're in a new covenant and uh that new covenant changes everything you know uh, i don't i don't want to be under the old covenant i want to be under the covenant that the covenant that we're under because it's a the bible says in hebrews it's a new covenant it's established upon better promises. It's a better covenant established on better promises. And, and so that means it's better. And so, uh, uh, so we need to understand that we're, we're in the covenant that we're under, where we are in what dispensation and so forth. So we're gonna start tonight by looking in Genesis, um, the 18th chapter. And so, sometimes, to understand what something is, you have to understand what it isn't. You know, uh, when I began plumbing, uh, I worked for three and a half years for a a, a plumber, and one of the things I learned was a lot of how not to do things. You know, because he had this attitude, he'd rather have you do something, even if it was wrong, rather than wait five minutes and check out the blueprints a second time and do it right the first time and so i can't tell you how much steel because we were still we were using steel pipe back then you know and uh, and, and so i can't tell you how many how much steel pop i had to tear out and how many lead joints i had to take a chisel and caulk out most of you you haven't got an idea any idea what i'm talking about but that doesn't matter i do and i'm entertaining myself you know <laughs> But uh, but tore out stuff all the time, and, I, and so I learned, you know, before you start something, you know, get it right. Get it in the right place. You know, it, there, there's something about plumbing when you're building a schoolhouse. When, when you put it in the wrong place, things don't function very well. I remember one job we were doing. It was up in a little town of, I can't remember what the name of the town was, but it was a school addition. And... Uh, they had, they had three different sets of blueprints. And the electrician had come out and his, his blueprints were different than ours, the ones we had as plumbers. And so we had our stuff in and, the, and he approaches the you know, general contractor and he says, nothing's lining up here. And he just finally got so frustrated, he just says, just go according to what the plumbers are doing. Just go and put the walls where they're putting the walls. And that's basically what was wrong was there'd be, you know, we'd have our stuff in a wall and theirs showed that it ought to be, you know, a foot, foot and a half over from there. He just finally said, just go by what what they're doing. Well, it's important, but you know what? It's important that we understand what dispensation we're in because it's a whole lot more significant and important than getting a wall in the wrong place, you know, because you can't just simply tear it down. And, you know, when we understand these truths, it, it helps us build what God is truly desiring for us to build. And so, in Genesis, the 18th chapter, we're looking at Abraham. And one of the things that we see about Abraham, and, and again, a lot of times our, our prayer life was based on what we saw in the Old Covenant. You know, because really, when you, when you study the New Testament, you don't, you, you see prayer, and so forth, but you don't see a lot of examples of prayer. And so we go back to the Old Testament. What we don't realize is that it, the, approach, the approach to it is totally different. Well, let's just look at this. And so we're in Genesis 18th chapter and we'll begin in the 23rd verse. And this is when, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, was going to be destroyed and, and so on and so forth. And, and it says in the 23rd verse, oh, we'll just back up to the 22nd, it says, then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And so he's, what, he, what he's doing, and this that we, we use this as an example of intercession. And he said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place at the, and, and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. So the righteous should also um, should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth uh, do right and so what we see here and what I want to see in this portion of Scripture and it goes on and on and talks about how he how he finagled it down but basically what we see is is Abraham begging with God pleading with God to do something please don't destroy the righteous with the wicked well you know we, we have a promise uh, as the righteous will never be forsaken As the righteous, we've already been judged, so judgment is going to come upon us. As the righteous, God has nothing but good for you and I. And so it doesn't matter whether we're in a heathen country, whether we're in, you know, a godly place. You know, God is not going to bring destruction upon us and upon our lives. Now, we may get ourselves in some situations that we ought not to be in, but God isn't going to do that to us. And so one of the things that we see about this whole scenario is that you know, the judgment of God is coming down because of their behavior. And you've heard it as well as I've heard it. I mean, I've heard people that said that when uh, the hurricane came through New Orleans, it was the judgment of God. Well, whoever said that needs to get a, they need to read the Bible and get out of the Old Testament and get into the New Testament because God isn't going to do that. Uh, because that, that's not His nature. That's not who He is. But why do people come up with those sorts of scenarios? Because they're they're looking at the Old Covenant. What we've got to understand about the Old Covenant is that because man was natural, he was not spiritual, God had no other way to deal with man other than in in the natural sense. We're no longer to be walking in the natural. We are a spiritual being. And so God doesn't have to deal with our natural being, so to speak, he deals with us spiritually. And so when God speaks to you and I, he's not talking to our body, he's not talking to our soul, he's talking to our spirit. And we'll, if we'll respond to that. And so what I want to see in this is that even in prayer, you know, here Abraham was dealing with something in the natural. But God wants to deal with us in, in the spiritual realm. We have, a, we have another example. Because... <clears throat> what happens when you, when, you, when you dwell on these things in the Old Testament, what happens is people begin to think that we serve an angry God. They begin to think that God's mad at you. And God's not mad at you. God is not wanting to withhold any good thing from any one of us in this room because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And so it, it's, it's our viewpoint. Now, why is that so important? Well, if we have the proper viewpoint, the proper understanding, I heard somebody say this today about looking at something through the, through the wrong lens. If we're not looking at it through the right lens, we see things inaccurately. And so we begin to have an image of God. We begin to ask God for things that are already ours rather than, well, we lose our expectation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And and there's an expectation that goes along with that. And so when we pray, and we pray according to God's will and according to God's plan, and we know that we have the requests we've asked of Him, when we pray, there's an expectation that we're going to see the fulfillment of that. We're going to see the manifestation of that. We may not see it today. We may not see it tomorrow. But we know that we're going to have it because it's a promise of God and it's been made available to us. And so, here Abraham is pleading, we call it intercession. He's interceding, or he's being the mediator, for these individuals that are in Sodom and Gomorrah, that, you know, you know I, I believe that Abraham stopped, where, where did he stop, at 10? I believe he stopped there because he was convinced there'd be at least 10 righteous people in the entire city of Sodom but he couldn't. They found four. And so I, I have a feeling that if, that if Abraham had continued to go down, um, the angel of the Lord would have continued to go down with him. Um, but, he, but he didn't. Then let's turn over to Exodus. We see another example of this, and we see this with Moses. <clears throat> so if you're reading through the same, reading through the Bible in a year that I'm reading through, you're reading through Exodus right now. And if you're not, you're probably not. But in uh, Exodus, the 32nd verse or chapter, and we'll begin in the ninth verse, and here um, he's talking, uh, interceding for the children of Israel. And he says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff necked people. aren't you glad you're not a stiff-necked people? Well, I don't know. Sometimes my neck is kind of stiff. Yeah, but you're not a stiff-necked people because you're redeemed of the Lord. And so he says, uh, that cause them a stiff-necked people. How therefore, now therefore, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that, I, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. In other words, God's saying, I'm just going to use Moses and I'm, I've, I've just had it. I'm going to just start all over again. I'm sure you've never felt that way with anybody. you know. But uh, that, that's where God was on it. And he, and then it goes on in the 11th verse and it says, Moses pleaded, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all <clears throat> and all as this land that I have spoken of I, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And so, Again, this is this is intercession, and you say, "Well, that's that's kind of a good deal, shouldn't we do that for people?" But see, we already have the ultimate intercessor. We have Jesus. We have Jesus that you know to intercede, to be a mediator. Basically, means one who who stands in between, one who brings peace uh, or harmony. To, to two parties. That's what an what an intercessor is. And so that's what Moses was doing here because, you know, judgment was going to come upon these people because of of their behavior, because again, they were so stiff-necked, because God uh, gave them direction and so forth, and they, they they never they never followed any of it. And so Moses interceded. Abraham interceded and and what I want us to see is because Both of these passages I used to use as examples of how we're to be interceding for one another. But you know, our intercession, and we'll get more into this as we go along here, our intercession deals more about declaring what Jesus has already done for the life of individual. I believe that we're supposed to intercede for people. But you know what? That's why the Bible says that we're to pray, you know, if we've got a lost loved one, we're not to we're not to intercede against judgment. We're to pray that their eyes would be opened, that the uh, that the evil one, the the one who deceives, the one who blinds the minds, uh, that they don't see the truth. Because Jesus has already set them free. What they need to be able to do is see what Jesus has already done for them. And so our declaration is that they can see what Christ has already accomplished for them, because it's His will for them to be saved, for them to come to the full knowledge of truth. In Numbers, we'll just read one more of these really exciting examples. And uh, I didn't put it in your notes because it's, it's long. But in Numbers 16, verse uh, 28, it says, And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me uh, to do all these things. And in fact, we're not even gonna go ahead and read it all. You know, and so he was, he was saying through these examples, you're gonna know that the Lord has sent me to do these things. Well, let me read a little more. If these men die naturally, like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. And so see, you know, <clears throat> Moses, not only intercede for their well-being, but he is also the spokesman for the Lord. He was, he was a prophet. He, he spoke, if you will, judgment upon them. But once again, we've got to understand the covenant that we're under. The judgment has already been paid for. Jesus has already paid the price. I think in the church, oftentimes, we take too lightly what Jesus has already done for us. Well, well, Pastor, don't you ever get tired of talking about Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and His resurrection, that He paid the penalty for our sins, and blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that, doesn't that get kind of old? No. You know, because of that, we don't have to worry about this. But if we don't have a revelation of that, what happens is this continually comes back to haunt and torment us. Have we done enough? Have I I prayed enough? Have I been good enough? Have I done this enough? Have Have I missed confessing any of my sin? You know, if your salvation is based upon you in any way, shape, or form, We're damned. We have no hope. But it isn't upon us, based upon us, it's what Jesus has done for us. And that's why we should never tire of speaking of what Jesus has done, what Jesus accomplished for us. It's because of that that we have life, period. (laughs) It's all because of Jesus and his goodness. Verse 31 Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the the ground split apart under them. The earth opened its mouth, swallowed them up with their household and all the men with corn and all of their goods. Why? Because they they rebelled. And so the earth opened up and it swallowed them up. When I was going to Bible school and I was at CLC, I had this I had this 1963 Corvair, and some of you don't even know what a Corvair is, and some of you can't identify. Yeah, of course, of course you would. You're older than I am, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, but but even something that would be built in 1963. But anyway, that's that's why I drove back and forth to work was my 1963 Corvair, and, and we we had this young lady. She's we, we'd let her live in our basement for a while, and. I mean, it was a finished basement, and, and I know we were in Missouri, but it was it was finished anyway. And uh, uh, but she had this guy that she was seeing, and one night we were gone, kids were home, and he was there, and and we didn't like what was going on, so I I forbid him to be on our property. You know, I said the the, the campground they have 100 or 330 acres over there. You know, if you want to fool around, go over there. You know, but you're not allowed on our property. And so he spun out, you know, and was real mature about it. And uh, so anyway, uh, one day I'm driving home from church, and I'd taken the Corvair that day because I had to go early. And, and of course, the Corvair, the, uh, um, the gas gauge didn't work in it. And it had a supplement tank but but it didn't work either so I ran out of gas and so here's here's my car on the side of the road and and so I'm there and of course you know my which my grandkids can't understand why you know what was wrong with this why we didn't have a cell phone (laughs) you know and uh, and so while I'm I'm there um, this guy drove by and I I could see that he had this big smile on, on his face and I found out later on what he had done is uh, he, had, uh, he had cursed me. He put a curse on me because of my attitude. Well, what he doesn't realize is you can't curse what's already been blessed. And uh, so, you know, that's like, you know, well, we won't go into that. But anyway, so I found out later that he, the reason he was so happy was he thought his curse was manifesting in my card book. No, I'd run out of gas. You know that had nothing to do with the curse. It had everything to do with the fact that I was irresponsible and I didn't put enough gas in it to get home from church that day. You know, but but see, this is what a lot of people look at, and they, they when things begin to go wrong in their life, they begin to examine things and they begin to think, well, I guess I'm just, I guess I guess it's the curse. I've been, I've been so bad. I've been so miserable. You know, I I I. I, I know why this happened to me, because I got ticked off the other day, and I put off a sling of words that should have never come out of my mouth, and so, as a result of it, I'm, I'm, I'm cursed. Let me tell you something, if the words of, that came out of our mouths would curse us, we'd all be dead right now. You know, I, I mean, there'd be a whole different group of people that'd be in there. Well, actually, the whole world would be dead. You know, but no, you're, you're blessed. And, and see, well, we have to begin to see is that we're blessed. What does this have to do with prayer? has everything to do with prayer. Because your prayers are answered, not because you're cursed or you're fighting the curse. Your prayers are answered because you're the redeemed of the Lord. Because the blessing of God rests upon you and everything that he's promised to you, he wants to manifest in your life. And so we have a right uh, to claim all of those things. Well, let's get into some good stuff. Turn with me in your Bibles or your notes because they're there as well. Um, to First Timothy and the second chapter, and we'll begin reading in the first verse. Therefore I exert, exhort, first of all that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. This is what I wanted to get to. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. We have one mediator, you know, and so are we supposed to intercede for people? Yes, we are. But We need to understand, we we have a mediator. We already have a mediator. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is already representing us to the Father. Jesus has already accomplished. What's need to, what needs to be done for you and I so that we can have a victorious life today and in the future. And the reason that we're able to do that is because through Jesus' mediation our sins have been forgiven. Past, present, and future. And I know a lot of people don't believe that our future sins have not already been forgiven. But guess what? Jesus doesn't suffer on the cross again. He did it one time for the sins of all men. And so Jesus isn't gonna go back to the cross. And so <clears throat> people say, well, but, but once you're saved, you gotta, you have to confess your sin. Well, he already knows we sinned. I, I'll challenge you in that. I, I know there's one place in the New Testament where it talks about confessing your sins. It's 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In the context of that, I believe he's talking by and large, about our salvation. But I'll tell you what the Bible does talk about. It talks about repentance. And I know a lot of people that have confessed their sin, but they've never repented. Because there's all the difference in the world. Confession of sin can just simply mean, I'm sorry I sinned. And then you just go out and do it again. Repentance means that we begin to turn from it. You know, it's interesting. Remember, uh, Back there in the example of Moses, when he was praying for the children of Israel and he was going to destroy them, God says, I'm going to just start out a whole new bunch with you. And uh, it says that God relented. The same word as, as God repented. Think about this. God repented. And we look at that and we think, oh my goodness, God would never repent. Yeah, he he repented. You know what that means? He chose to go in another direction. And that's what it means when when we've messed up and we recognize, now, I'm not legalistic about this. If you want to, because I do. I'll be honest with you. I still say, Father God, I screwed up again. I don't say, please forgive me. I say, I thank you that you've forgiven me. But through the power and the anointing of your Holy Spirit, help me to change in this area of my life because I repent. I turn from that in Jesus' name. And that's what, what, what God did when he relented or he repented from destroying the people. It simply means that he changed his mind and he went in a whole new direction. And of course, we don't really know. It's probably God testing Moses in a sense to see how committed he was to these people. But I believe that God was serious. He was going to wipe the whole bunch out because he's just fed up with them. I mean, sometimes I get fed up with three or four people. Can you imagine having three million that you're fed up with? And so uh, this is what this is. We, we have a mediator. And so we need to see that we're not as Moses under the old covenant, we're in a new covenant. I'm your pastor, you know, but aren't you thankful that you don't have to go through me to have communication with God. You don't have to go through me to have a voice with God. If you don't have a, if you have a need in your life, you don't have, now, now don't misunderstand me. There's times we need somebody to be in agreement with us or somebody to pray for us. Or, or as Oral Roberts used to say, you need, a, you need a touching point. And sometimes that touching point is a human being for you to be able to release your faith. So I'm not opposed to that. But what I'm saying is you don't have to have me to connect with God because you've got a mediator in Jesus Christ. He's the one that has already prepared the way, made the path, so that each and every one of us have access to the Father, and we don't have to look to any man. Jesus has already um, done it for us. God, as I've already said, is not angry with us. And, and, and I know we say that a lot. But do you know why we say that a lot? Is because a lot of people think that God is mad that God is angry with them, that God is still, uh, they're they're fearful that that God is going to come down upon them. But he's not going to because he's love. In uh, in Matthew 25, 41, it says this, Then he will also say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the, de- the, the, the devil and his angels. Now, you say, well, thanks for really getting into something positive, because that's really exciting to know that what curse are you on my left. No, that, you're, you're missing the part I want you to look at. I want you to look at that very, the very end of that verse. Notice what hell was made for. It wasn't made for man. It wasn't made for you and I. It says, and I will thrust you, uh, let's see, where where are we? Uh, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So see, hell was, was never, well, God is so mad he just wants to send everybody to hell. No, it was never prepared for that. It was, Prepared for the devil and his angels now, because man chooses not to believe. it not because of our sin. I know people don't want to hear this, but and this isn't justifying anybody's behavior or anything. But people wonder, you know, how can how can somebody in prison who's probably you know, possibly killed somebody or done some unbelievable, despicable act, how can that person ever get, be saved? Because it isn't our behavior and our actions that send us to hell. Remember, we're in the new covenant. There's only one thing that causes us to be lost, and that's the refusal to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so that's why, coming back to our, um, our intercession for one another again, what are, we, what are we interceding for people that are lost? Not for the judgment of God to come upon them. You know, because some people think if, if the judgment of God comes upon them, eventually they'll repent. No, they'll just get more deplorable. What will change them is Jesus. And Jesus has already paid the price for them. And so we can can pray that knowing that that's what his will is because it's his will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so we don't ever have to worry about that. We don't ever have to be concerned about that because Jesus has already paid the price. It doesn't matter how horrible that individual has been. We can still pray for them in faith because we know what God's ultimate will is for them. Now, we can't make somebody get saved. You know, I think sometimes that's what what, what people, they, they get frustrated because they prayed for somebody and they don't see them saved right away. And they think, well, God's not doing anything. Well, God's done everything He can do. But what we're praying is for people to cross their path. It's going to have an impact on their life to lead them to Jesus because ultimately... For every man, woman, and child, they have to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As I've said before, God didn't have any grandchildren. He only has children, and so each individual for themselves must be born again. My kids, each of them, even though they were, they were raised in a pastor's home, each of them for themselves had to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. My grandkids, even though they're third generation, They have to receive Jesus Christ for for themselves. They have to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, I think sometimes that transition is is almost unnoticeable. But there has to be some point where they say, I have chosen to follow Jesus all the days of my life. And and that's required of everyone. John 3.36. I forgot to read this. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And of course, even this, if we want to be technical about it, is before the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But we, because we've seen Jesus and know Jesus, we don't have to worry about the wrath of God. Uh, because we're well-pleasing in His sight. Well, we need to move on. So let's, let's go to Luke, the 11th chapter. And uh, I want to just talk with you about some of the teachings of Jesus that have been misinterpreted. And so in, in Luke, the 11th chapter, and we're going to begin in the 5th verse where this is talking about When a friend uh, comes to your house, and it says in verse 5, and this is Jesus teaching, and he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, saying, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children, are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give uh, to him because he is his, his friend, yet because of his perseverance, persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And so people say, well, see, that's why you have to be persistent because what he's showing us here is how there there has to be this persistence in order to get what you want. No, he's he's not showing us a type. He's showing us a comparison. He's saying in the world, you may have to bombard somebody to get them to do what you want them to do. And so he's not saying that's how it is with God. It's not a... It's a comparison, and as we read on here, we're gonna see this. He basically says, that's how I'm not. That may be how the world is, but that's not how I am. Let's look at verse nine. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For you, For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. He who knocks, it will be opened. And so what he's saying is, everyone, who comes to me and asks, seeks and knocks, they're going to receive that which they're asking of me. Now, ask, seek, knock in this particular verse is in the continuous present tense. And so that what that means is we continue to ask and seek till we see the manifestation of it. But remember how we ask. If we're asking for something that Jesus has already given to us or provided the means by which we get it, we're not begging him for it. We're saying, Father, I thank you that because of Jesus and because this has already been provided for me, I thank you that it belongs to me. And so I thank you for it, even though I don't see it yet. And we continue that until we see the manifestation of it. Because oftentimes what we do is we pray for something once and then we forget about it. And if we don't see the manifestation of it, we we just come to the conclusion we're not going to get it. But what he's saying is we need to persist until we receive it. The comparison is in the world, it may take a lot of struggle to get somebody to give you what you need in your life, but that's not how it is with me. And the reason that I know that is because we read on In the 11th verse, and it says, If a son asks for for bread uh, from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? And of course, these are all rhetorical questions. The answer is always, no. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Then in the 13th verse, he says, If you then, being evil... Now, he's not saying that these fathers are evil. He's not saying that this friend who he's knocking on the door is evil. But in comparison with God, on, on a good day, compared to God, it's evil. And so he's showing us a comparison here. And he's saying, even if you, or let me read it, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts. To your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for Him? In other words, when we ask, we're going to receive it. Now, there's a couple of different questions that can be answered in this verse. The number one is that if you're asking for the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be afraid that you're going to get something false because God's going to give you exactly what you're asking for. But along with that, if if a father... Who, in comparison is evil, desires to give good gifts to his children. How much more is our heavenly Father, who is the epitome of love and good, going to give good gifts to his children? And so this verse, when Jesus taught it, it wasn't supposed to bring doubt and concern as to whether or not God's going to answer our prayer. It was supposed to bring the confidence and assurance that God is going to give us exactly what we're asking for. But so often what we do, we, we break Scripture down in the context of what we want to prove in our teaching. And so there's those that have taught that you, you've got you've to you've be persistent, you've got to beg God, you've got to you know, work at it to get God to do what well, if you read the whole thing, you see that that's not what he's talking about there at all. And so don't let religion determine what Jesus has already accomplished, what he's worked in, our, in each of our lives. Um, in Luke 18, I think we already read this earlier, but I want to read it again. In Luke 18, verse 6, it says, Then the Lord said, I guess this is a different teaching. We haven't talked about this tonight. Hear what the unjust judge says. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him? Well, we need to back up so you know what I'm talking about here. 18.1. And again, this is Jesus. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was a... So he's talking here about prayer and not losing heart in our prayer. There was a certain... In a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, let's let's be real here. At the very beginning of this parable that Jesus is teaching us, it ought to be clear that he's not going to compare, use it as a type, a judge who does not fear God as being a type of our Father God in regards to answering prayer. I mean, that, that ought to be very obvious with you. But, <clears throat> but for years, the teaching that I heard on this was a, that this, this judge was a type of our Heavenly Father. Well, my, my Heavenly Father <laughs> and my Jesus, uh, they fear God. So anything other than that is, is a misrepresentation. And so there was a certain in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. You know what? If God didn't regard us, why would he have ever sent Jesus? And then it goes on, and it says, Now there was a widow in the city who she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my ad- ad- adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards, he said within himself, though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this woman troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming, she wear me out. You know, and so the teaching is, you need to just storm Heaven's gates until you wear God out until he finally gives in to you. Well, that's not what he's doing. He's he's using a comparison here once again. Look what he goes on and he says, Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out night and day to him, though he bears long with him? I tell you, that He will avenge them speedily. Not dragging it out. He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will, will He really find faith on the earth? Well, what is the faith that He's gonna find? Knowing that God is gonna be true to His word. Know that it isn't us begging him, trying to get him to do something. It's about what he's already done. And so what it really comes down to, it really comes down to our relationship with him. Having having confidence in him, knowing that what he's promised in his word, he's true to it. You know, in James, it does say this. You ask, but you have not, because you ask amiss. And I think... That comes into play sometimes from the standpoint that we we ask God for things that aren't necessarily according to His will. It's not something that He's he's promised to us. You know, I don't know, I've been praying for 15 years for a brand new Mercedes Benz and I just haven't got it yet. Well, show me the chapter and verse. You know, do you have transportation? Well, yeah, well then He's supplying your, your needs but there's nothing in the Scripture that promises that you're going to drive a Mercedes-Benz. But see, that's what we do. And so we need to have confidence that what He has promised in His Word, it is going to come to pass. And that's what what our, our prayer life, the majority of our prayer life ought to be declaring who God is and Acknowledging what he's promised to us. And once again, declaring that it belongs to us. You know, once again, if you haven't got one, I just want to encourage you, uh, get a hold of one of Brother Hagin's little mini books in him. And if you, if you don't have one, um, get a hold of me. We've, we've got some, it's, it's just a little, little book. But in that book, there's 133 different scripture passages that talk about who we are in Christ Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. And you see, to me, that's what our prayer life ought to, the majority of, ought to consist of. Speaking about what Jesus has already accomplished for us. Because when we do that, a lot of times, what I believe we're going to see is the needs that we have in our life dissipate, they disappear. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. We can have certain issues in our life. And because we're focusing upon that issue, you know, something we all deal with every day, finances. We, we can look at our finances and, and when, we, when we focus on that, when, we, when that becomes number one thing in our life, when we focus all of our attention upon that, it's huge. We don't know how we're going to make it. But you know, it's an interesting thing. When we begin to focus upon the promises of God, even though in the natural, absolutely nothing has changed, because we focused on the promises of God, we have hope. And because we have hope, we have something for faith to bring substance to. And even though everything in the natural is the same, it appears different make any sense? Because we're not looking at that. It's like, you know, the story I share with you when I was pastoring up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, and I was working at that little strip mall, and, and the uh, the afternoon, that uh, the revelation of the scripture, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. From one moment to the next moment, where that Scripture became a revelation to me. I had peace and confidence that God was gonna supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus, but nothing had changed because I was still mowing the same stinking lawn I was mowing before, walking back and forth. But because of revelation of the Word of God, it changed. You see, that's why this word is so important, and that's why our interpretation of this scripture, that our interpretation be based upon the completed works of Jesus is so important, because without that, we get a false image of what Christ has truly accomplished for us. We are New Testament believers, and the the number one attack, tool, of the enemy is to deceive us into thinking that the Bible doesn't mean exactly what it means. That where we are in the new covenant, in the dispensation of grace, everything's changed. And so now, I still believe the Old Testament is important. But we interpret the Old Testament through the lens of grace, through the lens of the covenant, the New Covenant. You know, many people they 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 preach out of the Old Testament and then they pull a scripture passage every once in a while from the New Testament as a proof text. That's backwards. We live in the New Covenant. And so our basic preaching is out of the New Covenant. And we draw from the Old Covenant to bring proof text because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The truth is the same. The application of it may be different, but the truth is still the same. And so that's how it applies as well in prayer as well. I I, I want us to to be a praying church but I want us to be an effective praying church. You know, I've I've been in prayer meetings where we've, we've made so much noise, but all we did in the end was make noise because we're asking God to do something that He had already done. We're screaming, hollering, begging Asking God to do something that he's already done. He's done it. He's completed the work. Now it's important for us to recognize it and acknowledge it. In Jesus' name, amen. So y'all be blessed and have a good week. And don't worry, it's not going to snow very much, if at all. And in fact, according to my phone, it should have already quit. So be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.